stretching time. Uh, why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 this evening. And tonight we want to notice several biblical principles that are going to be founded here in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, this wisdom book. We're almost right there in the middle of the Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Um, Ecclesiastes, if you're not careful and when you read that book, when this, this particular book, you might get a jaded outlook on life. When you read over and over, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and uh, these kinds of things, you might get a the, the thought or the, that life has really means nothing. But I don't believe that's what Solomon's trying to communicate at all within this message here. What he's trying to communicate really for us in this whole entire book is that life is just a vapor. It's just nothingness. It's just a poof. That's all it is. It's so quick. It's so fast. And all these things that so many times we're running after, we're going after, we're looking forward to, or trying to do in life, um, though in themselves might not be evil, yet if that's what we're living for, um, in reality we need to realize that they're really just nothing. It's just vain. It's just empty. It's, it's really futile. But we really need to focus on this, that we have a patient endurance to the end. As we're going to see this evening, um, life is not about the beginning. Life is truly about the ending. It's about the ending. And so let's look here at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 1. It says, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better to hear rebuke, the rebuke of the wise than for, a man, for, than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot so is the laughter of, a fool, of the fool, this also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. By it there's a profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is, de is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to him that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why, sit, why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also. 
from this withdraw thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. It is a good word for us tonight, and I pray that, God, we would see these biblical principles of patiently enduring to the end that are outlined for us in the, uh, these Proverbs of the preacher. May God, Lord, we learn something from the end of this man's life who had much wisdom, but Lord, in many cases, he did not apply the wisdom that he had so much of. May God, Lord, we learn from him, and may God, we hear his teachings that you've inspired for us to hear. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This book is written by Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth. Ecclesiastes is translated many times by many scholars as the word teacher or preacher. That's what the word means. Solomon is writing to us as an old preacher or teacher that has learned from the mistakes of his life. Ecclesiastes, like I said, means preacher. It means teacher. He sometimes even calls himself that in the book. He is the preacher writing. He has learned that though he has been all wise and though that he has been all powerful and though he has been the most wealthy man and most successful man in all the world, though he's completed great building projects, one of the most great, one of the greatest building projects of all time. He completed the temple, the first temple, David's temple, as sometimes they might say, but it was actually Solomon's. Solomon built it. David prepared it and got it ready. It was in David's heart to do the thing, but God wouldn't let him do it. Solomon got to do it. This man that has accomplished all of these things says it is all vanity. It's nothingness. And without God, all things are nothing. They are vanity. Solomon has concluded that all of life is just vain, is empty, and there's really nothing we can do about it. To live for this life is futile. To live for this life is futile. It's empty. It's vain. The conclusion is for us is that we must be living in such a way that we're preparing for the next life. We must be preparing for the next that's what this life is really all about. One has said it well. They said that nobody really dies on this earth. Really, what happens to everybody is that we are relocated. We're just relocated. And that's what happens in life. But I want to use this chapter tonight for a couple of reasons. And I want you to maybe jot down some notes, maybe, if, you're doing, if you've got a pen handy is why are we just singling out this? Well, one of the things is that this particular chapter really stands out above the rest in the, in the book here. It's uh, almost a midway point here in the small book of Ecclesiastes, but it is a, a standout chapter. It really highlights a lot of different things, a lot of different axioms, and I'm not going to be able to get to all of them tonight. I'd love to. I was wanting to get through the whole chapter, but I found myself not being able to do that, do that this evening. Another thing is this, is that we also want to see a number of principles that are outlined for us in this chapter based upon this one thing, patiently enduring to the end. Patiently enduring to the end. That's what we really want to see tonight. And finally, we want to see this. We want to see how do we study a book like this? A book like Proverbs, a book like Ecclesiastes, a book like Song of Solomon, a book like Job even, uh, a book like the book of Psalms. It seems like so many times in these particular books that there can be so many proverbs that are piled together that it almost seems like 
Solomon and the rest of the writers wrote them haphazardly, as if they were just kind of coming to them one by one, you know, writing them down as they came to them from the Holy Ghost of God, just kind of putting them all together. And it may seem difficult for us as we look through these things to uh, assimilate them and apply them to our own lives and to categorize them. But I want us tonight to see that we can do this. Also, I want us to, another thing that might help you in studying and reading the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes and maybe some of the other wisdom literature is this, is that when you read through these wisdom literatures, sometimes you cannot always take exactly what they're saying to be a literal thing. Uh, for instance, it says that if you, uh, are a, if you curse your parents uh, as a child, then the buzzards are going to eat your eyes out, all right? That, that says that in the book of Proverbs. Well, uh, there's been plenty of child that has cursed their parents and there's no buzzards flying around them, all right? You might want to be careful though, you know, maybe God might take it literally, you never know. But you need to be, you just need to read this with the thought that there's something else behind it. It is a proverb, okay? It is a proverb. Even the word death sometimes in the book of Proverbs does not always mean physical death or eternal death. It can be things that are associated with death, um, I'm just kind of curious for some class participation here tonight, and I've never done this before. Uh, what are some things that are associated with death? Anybody want to have an answer for that? What's, what comes to your mind? Sorrow. Sorrow, yes. Anybody else? Pain. Pain. It stinks. Yeah. Smells. Yeah. Anybody else? What's that? Burial. Burial, yes. Funeral, burials. Wickedness, yeah. So you can see that with death, we can have a lot of proverbial sayings that go along with death. A lot of things that are associated with death um, are accompanied there in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the ringing of nose, the ringing of nose surely bringeth forth blood. Now, the, the Proverbs is not telling us to go about ringing people's nose to see if that axiom is true, okay? All right? You don't need to go around ringing people's nose, though Corey would, dads would, would like to do that to him sometimes, I'm sure. But here's the thing, is that there are truths to be found inside of these Proverbs, and though sometimes it might seem, and another thing is this, all right, if you're writing things down, not always to take it literally, but sometimes uh, we're not necessarily to take our doctrines, if you will, they're not going to be founded so much in these books, in the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes books, though we can find great doctrines to back up some of the things that are... What I, mean is, what, I might, what I might mean is this, is that you're probably not going to find the great doctrine of Christ's deity in these books, though there might be a verse there that deals with that, though there might be something that deals with these things. I believe Christ is in every book. He is in every place. I believe one of the greatest verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs chapter number 29. At the end of the chapter, it says that judgment is given for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. I remember writing in my study Bible years ago, and Jesus took them for me. And Jesus took them for me. But these books are not meant for that. They're, given, they're meant for us to live out daily biblical principles in our lives. There's no more practical books than the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Psalms, Job. Practical books for daily living. That's why some of you may even choose to read a proverb a day. You may choose to read Proverbs 1 and in correspondence with day number 1 of the, of the month. 
It's a good practice to have. Because these are daily things for us to learn. And then finally, always take the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes and all the rest of them, these wisdom books, in their context. Always take them in their context of where they're at, who they're talking to, the time period in which they're written in. Always understand them that way. And then always do this. Apply them to your New Testament teachings. Apply them to your New Testament teachings. Go back, find these things that are mentioned in these books and find them in your New Testament. Find the principles that are outlined for us in the New Testament too. That's always very important whenever we're in studying the Old Testament and especially studying these wisdom books. Now what does this chapter teach us? I've already said it to you three times, I'll say it again, patiently enduring to the end. And he does that three ways. I won't get to the third way tonight, but the first way is this, by instructing us to consider the end. By instructing us to consider the end. If you're going to patiently endure to the end, then you've got to think about the end. Amen? All right? You've got to think about the end. The second way is this, is that be patient with life. How are we going to be patiently enduring to the end? Be patient with life. And the third way is this, is that seek God for godly wisdom. I won't get to that point tonight, but seek God for godly wisdom. Consider the end, be patient to the end, and, consider, and ask God for godly wisdom like James tells us to. Now, let's look at this tonight. And I'm going to just go through these verses. I've got 18 verses to go through in 22 minutes. All right? So, but I want you to pay attention to these verses because they have certain truths for us tonight that we're going to pick up on, and I think it'll be all helpful for us. Number one is this. He begins by giving us with a wise look at your life. Consider the end of your life. Now, as I said, some people might think that the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes is a bunch of verses that are just kind of strewn together, and maybe they were all piled together in a storehouse somewhere, and Hezekiah just kind of gathered them all up and just kind of haphazardly threw these things together. I don't think that's how it is at all. In fact, as you read your Proverbs and as you read the Ecclesiastes, you oftentimes find out that there are great sections that go together, great sections that go together. In fact, I believe it is in Proverbs chapter number 26 that tells us there are three people that are wicked, three wicked people, three different types of ungodliness, ungodly people, ungodly things. One is the fool. The second one he describes to us is the slothful man. The third one is the deceiver. And he puts them in that order from, from uh, best to worst, if you will. Uh, so, uh, worst to worst this. Um, so, we see here in this particular place here tonight that he does group a particular verses together. He says there in verse number, verse number two, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting for the end of, of all, for, the end, for that is the end of all men. Now look at verse number eight. Better is the end of a thing. See, there it is. You have a grouping there. And though you might seem like Solomon is going off course, he is a lot like John in his writings that he'll start here and he'll kind of take us around over here and then he'll lead us over here and he'll lead us back to the point that he began with. He'll say, this is the end. Now go around and let me tell you some things about that are going to happen through this circle. And then we come back to the end. But he begins here with verse number one. But he begins with your name. 
Why do we begin with our name when we're going to consider the end? Why is it important to begin with our name? The, thing, the, the reason why is this, is that Solomon knows that when you die, the only thing that you have left on the earth is your name. You don't have any possessions. You don't have any family. You don't have anything. You're not, you're not, you have nothing. The only thing that you can leave behind is your name. That's it. You can leave nothing else. You said you leave an inheritance? Yeah, but that's gone very quickly. It's dispersed. It's distributed. How many ranches in West Texas do you know of that started off 10 or 15,000 acres and now they've been broke down and 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 broke down until finally a realtor just comes up and buys up everything, you know? And there's not even a family name that's associated with them anymore. You see, a name is where it all begins. Even that won't last too long, but at least it, will la it can last some time. Uh, look how Solomon notes it. He says that a good name is better than precious ointment. This man Grady that uh, Brother Doug mentioned tonight. I've never met him before, but just from the sound of Doug's voice, I can tell that it was, he was a precious man to him. He was a precious man to his family. He was a precious man to his wife. Sixty years, that's a long time to spend with somebody. Now he's gone home to be with the Lord. His name is Precious as Ointment. What does that mean? Is that every time that he brings that up, like a great perfume that's been sprayed onto a lady that smells good, you say, oh, wow, that smells glad. That smells good. You put on some nice cologne, and you say, oh, man, that smells good. That smells nice. And every time this man's name is brought up here upon this earth right now, people say, oh, man, that's a good name. That's like Precious Ointment. He's a good man. Even though sometimes, this, I'm sure Grady wasn't a perfect man, he probably did some things that he ought not to have done. But you know what? When you die, a lot of times is that the bad things that you've done will oftentimes be forgotten. It's what have you done for the people in this world? What have you done for Christ? How have you lived? There's other verses that back this up. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's in Proverbs 22.1. And then Proverbs chapter number 10, verse number 7 tells us the exact opposite. The memory of the just is blessed. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. But the name of the wicked shall rot. All right. So you got some names there. It's important. Take a wise consideration of your life. Why? Number one, consider your name. Number two, consider your death. Consider your death. Your death is better than your birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and living will lay it to his heart. He says, in verse number three, he says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for the sadness of the countenance, for the, heart of the, uh, for the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. He's letting us know here that, that our life is that we need to consider our death. The day, of the, de the day of death is better than one's birth. There's many reasons why your death date is better than your birth date. Uh, number one, it could be that uh, if you're saved, amen, praise God. Now, I, I understand. Paul, Paul or excuse me, Solomon is not writing necessarily theologically here, okay? If he was writing theologically, like Paul and wrote this verse, it is better, your day is, of your death is better than your birth. Paul, I think Paul might have put a little addendum there if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, amen? You know? The day of your death is definitely not better than the day of your birth if you're not saved tonight, amen? Uh, your eternal location is not going to be in a very good place. 
So what does Paul, what does, I keep, now, now i got Paul in my mind, what does Solomon mean? Well, what he means is this, is that one, uh, if one is saved, that they would be delivered from this present troublesome world and be delivered into a much better world. Another thing is this, is that not only would be evil delivered from the evils of this world, but another could imagine this, that, uh, that your name, once you have died, if you have a good name, will be exalted. It will be exalted, unlike the day you were born. Nobody exalts a little baby. They celebrate it, but they don't exalt it. Another thing could be this, is that greater things await you after you die than after you're you're born, you know? <laughs> what awaits you after you're born? Troubles, sorrows, heartaches. Some people even use that as an excuse to not have children. I don't want to bring in a child in this terrible world that we live in. I don't think that's a good excuse, my friend. I think it's a bad excuse. God wants us to have children. He wants us to replenish the earth. That command has never been retracted. But nonetheless, what else? How else are you going to consider in? Consider your name. Consider the day of your birth is better. The day of your death is better than your birth. Consider this too, that it's better to go to a funeral than a feast. Now, what if you had to choose today? Well, if tomorrow your calendar, somebody brought it up on your calendar, is go to a funeral or go to a feast, or go to a party. Which one would you go to? Say, I'd go to the party. Come on now. Uh, at the feast, at the end of the feast, at the end of the party, guess what? There's nothing there. You had a good time. But the wise man, he says here in verse number two, he says, we'll go to the, we'll go to the, we'll go to the funeral. He will, why? Because a funeral will help you to consider your death and your end. It will help you to consider that everyone is going to die, so it is good to go to the funeral, so that gives us a chance to think about death. Gives us a chance to think about the end. I've never thought about this verse before in that matter, but uh, I think this, this is a great funeral verse. For everybody at a funeral. If you ever have to conduct a funeral as a, as, a, as a son or a daughter or maybe as a niece or a nephew or whatever, Ecclesiastes 7.2 is not a bad verse to read to the, to the people there. What is that telling them? It's good that you're here because it gives you a chance to consider that one day you too will pass away. You too will die. And that's good that you're here because it's good that we think on these things. Number four is that sorrow often occupies death. But oftentimes, there will become, but oftentimes we will be thinking about these things before we ever go. We won't think about these things if we go, go to a party. He says in verse number three, he says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. What happens when you go to a party? You're happy at the party, right? But then after the party, you got to go back to work on Monday. And then you're like, well, the party was fun, right? I mean, I had a good time at the party. Now I've got to wake up and go back to work? Oh, it's terrible. Why is, sadness, why is sadness and sorrow better? Because of this. You go to a funeral. Maybe it's a funeral of one of your parents. Guess what? Work don't seem too bad the next day. Something else doesn't seem too bad. Because guess what? The thing that you've gone through was worse. It was worse. That was hard. That was harsh. 
That would hurt your heart. That hurt your life. And it hurt you and it hurt your heart. But you can see that these things help your countenance in, in your life. Going to a party is not going to help you to, uh, it's going to actually put you down in the dumps more. We oftentimes even say this, remember the patience of Job when we're going through a hard time. Why? Because we always want to remember this. There's always somebody out there that's having a worse time at it than you are. Always. There's always somebody worse off. So he concludes that the heart of the wise will go to the funeral over the party. They want to consider their end. They want to realize that they will die. Maybe they want to go to the funeral to know how this person lived, what made their life so special, or what made it so dreadful. Maybe. They're going through this. It's better to hear, the, he says, the heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of myrrh. What's a house of myrrh? House of laughter, that's what it is. House of laughter. It says it's better to go down to the house of mourning. Now that's not the that's not the 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 worldly way. The worldly way would say, no, just drown your sorrows in your drink. Drown your sorrows in your drugs. Drown your sorrows in some other fix that you may have. But God says, no, no, that's not how you do it. Because you're not going to drown it out. In fact, you're going to come out worse on the other side than you were when you first went in. Consider your end. Now, verse number 5, he seems like I might jump ship a little bit. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. But in reality, he has just had another thought that went along with this house of myrrh thought. The house of myrrh, the house of laughter, the house of merriment, he's telling them here. He says, not only is it good to go to the funeral over the party, but it's also better to hear rebuke rather than to hear laughter. Why is that? He's going back to the end of our lives. He's going back to the end of our lives, considering the end of a thing. You will not, at the end of your life, wish that you had heard a few more joyful songs and fun-loving songs and a few more good jokes. But at the end of your life, you will wish that you had lived a little bit more seriously and had listened to people that had rebuked you and listened to the wisdom that had been given to you. You will not sit there and say, you know what, I wish I would have heard a few more good jokes. You would think, why didn't I do this? I wish I would have done that. Solomon's trying to prevent you from doing that. That's why he's writing this. Why? Why is... I rebuke better than hearing a song of fools. He tells us in verse 6, 4, As the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This also is vanity. The laughter of fools only lasts for just a few split seconds. That's all. I used to listen to some of those clowns on late late night television. You know, Jimmy Fallon, the rest of them. Stephen Colbert, Conan, Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Kimmel, all those kinds of guys. You know what? All of that stuff is just slapstick laughter. It's just one little, one little thing. All that's going to do is just produce one little laugh. One little laugh. It's like a crackling of thorns in the fire. Just one little pop, 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 pop. That's all it is. And then it's done. What good is that? Better to consider the end of our lives. An old preacher told me the other day, he said, 
Brother Matthew, he said, I try to wake up, and he said, first thing I try to do in the morning, he said, first thing I try to do is, he said, I try to let my eyes see the Word of God. He said, and the first thing I try to put in my mind before I go to sleep is let my eyes see the Word of God. That's a good principle. That's a good way to live. You say, well, that's not in the Bible. I know it's not in the Bible. But you know what? I want to be in the Bible. Amen? Make sure you're doing something. Get it in. Better than you to... Better to do that than to consider your end, consider what's happening in your life than to be watching that thing and say, you know what, and let that be the last thing that go in your mind. Let the Word of God go in. Verse 7, he's still considering things. He's still considering the end of one's life where he says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man, wise man mad and a gift destroyeth his heart. He's still considering the end of one's life because what is he saying? He says, if at the end of his life a wise man begins to extort and begins to uh, defy and begins to punish the poor, it will simply drive him crazy. If he begins to take bribes for his judgments, it will destroy him. Don't come to the end of your life and waste it all on money just to get a little bit more money. There's some that have done that. I think Solomon did that. I think, I, I personally, when I read the life of Solomon, I think Solomon was on the point of insanity by the, end of, by the time of his life. Because at the end of his life, he spent the rest of his days trying to kill this guy that tried to take over the kingdom. He had become just like Saul of Tarsus, looking for somebody to kill. And if any of us have studied the life of Saul, we would all say that Saul was nearly lost his marbles. Chasing after David the way he did, all the crazy, about to kill his son because his son ate a little bit of honey. <laughs> you know? And then made everybody fast in order and not to eat in the middle of a war. What craziness is this? Solomon had come and almost reached that same point. Because Solomon even did this. Solomon extorted the people. He taxed them heavily. Solomon's writing from experience. And he's coming to the end and he's writing and he's taking a serious look at his life and he's trying to remind us what not to do. Don't live for money. But in verse number 8, he makes a great transition for he says, Better is the end of a thing than beginning thereof. He goes back to what he originally said. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. He's going back to verse number 2, and he's going back to this circular reasoning that, yes, not circular reasoning, but he's going back to this circular thought that here we are, that it's better at the end than it is at the beginning, and we need to take this into consideration. And when you do that, when you think about the end of your life, in which we all should do, we all should consider this, we're all going to die one day, okay? Every one of us, children too, we should be, it's hard to think of that when you're younger, right? Really hard when you're young to think about those kinds of things. But some of you that are older, I think, you know what? I've got more on the, I've got more on the front side than I do on the back side, you know? I, I'm, I know. And you think about these things. That's good. And when you do that, you begin to live more patiently. At least you should. For he says, it is better to be patient in spirit than it is to be proud in spirit. Proud in spirit. It's better to be patient and humble in life than to have the spirit of pride. Because what happens when impatience overcomes you? What do you do? You become prideful. Why do I have to stand in this line? Right? Why do I have to wait on this thing? Why do I? Why can't I have what I want in my life? I deserve better. I already paid for that product. 
Oftentimes when you're impatient, you become prideful. Prideful. But another failure of impatience is hastiness. For he says in verse number 10, Say not thou what is the cause of the former days, that, or excuse me, verse number 9, uh, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. If you can't get it done uh, the right way, oftentimes an impatient person will be hasty and do it the wrong way. You know that? An impatient person will do it wrong and they'll do it hastily just to get the thing done. The hasty way, the fast way. And that will only produce anger and frustration. And anybody that has anger and frustration resting in their bosom, the Bible says, will act foolishly. Can I see a raise of hands in here? How many has ever seen somebody blow up in a grocery store or in a line somewhere? You know? What do you, what do, you do when you see that? You look at him and you go, what an idiot. Right? What an idiot. What, what a they're yelling at the 16-year-old cash girl who hasn't done anything, you know. And I used to be a fool. I've gotten mad at the person on the phone that I've been trying to talk to. But now I just say, you know what? Listen, I know you're not the problem. You're just doing what you have to do, you know. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I'd literally like to speak to maybe a supervisor. Maybe talk to somebody that can fix the problem. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? We, when you blow up on somebody like that, you just look like an idiot. That's all. Look like a fool. He says, don't do that. Consider the end. Be patient. Amen? Now, this is just a lot of different acts. And I don't know what you're going to get out of this tonight. I really don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of got the, got the buck. I feel like I've got the number eight shot out here tonight and just kind of just going to town here, you know. Uh, and, but I don't know what, what it is here tonight in, in all of these things. But there's a lot of good truths in this thing, in Ecclesiastes, and all throughout the book of Proverbs. Verse number 10 tells us this. He says that another action of impatience is this, and this really hit me hard right here. I had never known this was in the Bible. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Can I translate that into our modern vernacular? Never say... Man, I wish we were back in the good old days. That's what that verse means. That's exactly what that verse means. Never ever say, I wish we lived. You know what? If we lived in a different time, never say that. That is bad. That is bad wisdom. That's folly. That's foolishness. Never think that way. For one, you don't live in that time, okay? And it's impossible for you to live in that time. You live now, and you consider the end. You live now, and you consider the end. Some people think like this whenever they think about how bad they used to live and what they did in their life, and they regret it, and they live in regret, and they live in all these, oh, I just did this, and I did that, and I blah, 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 and all these kinds of things. Yes, we understand that. Have you confessed it before God? Have you got it right with other people? Yes, I have. Okay, then move on, okay? It's time to move on. Because as long as you live in the past, you'll never live in the present, and you certainly will never live to the end, for the end. 
Don't ever say those words. Let's stop saying that. Amen? Let's just stop saying, I wish for the good old days. Let us realize that it's not wise to say that. What is the cause of the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. That's part of patience right there. Patience says, you know what? I'm going to live where I'm at right now and not worry about what it was like in the past. And then he says in verse number 11, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. He switches a little bit here in verses 11 through 18, and he goes on this, I don't want to call it a rant, he just goes on this particular little preaching rabbit trail, I guess, of who to be patient with. And he tells us that we need to be patient with several people and in several instances. Number one, be patient with an inheritance. He says that in verse number 11. How many people are not patient with an inheritance? Just talk to our friend Albert, the lawyer that used to be here, the attorney. Ask him how many times he's gotten phone calls even at 2 o'clock in the morning because people were wanting their money from their dead mom or dead dad. Think about that. People are impatient with an inheritance. No. Wait on it. People are, he says, be patient with wisdom. It will have its work. He says wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. Be patient with wisdom. Be patient with money. Be patient with both of these. Both have their limitations, though, he tells us. Don't put all your trust into wisdom or in money. But if you have to trust one, trust wisdom. Because money will fail. He says in verse number 12, For wisdom is a defense and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Money can't always buy you life. And it certainly won't buy you happiness. And then in verses 13 through 18, he tells us who to be patient with most. And does anybody know who the most, the person we should be patient with the most? It's not your husband, ladies. It's not your spouse, men. It's not your children, moms. You've got to be patient with God. Patient with God. He brings up this conference, if you will, this conference call to all of us to say, be patient with God. Consider and think about the work of God. He says it in verse number 13. He says, consider the work of God. Think about these things. And that will help you as you think towards the end of your life. And that's what Solomon is trying to do in all the Proverbs and in all the Ecclesiastes, I believe. He's trying to get us to think. Think, 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 think. And we don't think enough. I don't think enough. We don't think enough. And we need to think more. We need to be thoughtful. And he says, to think about this, consider the work of God. Who, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? Be patient with God. If God has made something crooked, can you make it straight? You can't do it. You can't change people, okay? Amen? You can't change anybody. Be patient. Be patient with God. 
Be patient with him in times of prosperity and, adver- and adversity, as he tells us in verse number 14. Because God uses both of these things, the day of prosperity, be joyful, and the day of adversity. Consider, God also has set the one over against another to the end that man should find nothing after him. What does he mean by that? It means this, very simply. He says, he's telling them, he says, don't look too much at the prosperity. Don't look too much at the adversity. God has put both of them into our life so that we may consider and have our focus completely upon God. Because in the end, none of it's going to exist, prosperity or adversity. There will only be one thing that exists, and that's God. And that's the Lord. That's the end of all matters. It's going towards Him. God has put both of them into your life. Say, I wish he put more prosperity there. Well, even the Proverbs says, don't put too much prosperity in my life, lest I forget God. So be careful with how we look at these things. Be patient with God in this. In verse number 15, he even says this. He even pulls out, the, the, he pulls out all stops with verse 15 when he says, All things have I seen in the days of my vanities. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. I mean, that's the ultimate pulling out the stops right there without patiently enduring to the end. I mean, I have seen the righteous David Brainerds, 28 years old, Serving God and loving God with their whole heart, soul, and mind with everything that they have that they literally die on the mission field with nobody around them on their knees begging God for souls at 28. And yet, I've seen those that have lived so wicked and ungodly and produced so much ungodliness in their lives and lived to 70, 80, 90 years old. What do you do? Be patient with God and trust that he knows best and he knows what he's doing. Therefore, he gives us two thoughts with this. All things have I seen, he says in verse 16, be not righteous over much, be not not over much wicked. What does he mean? When you consider this fact that sometimes the righteous die early and sometimes the wicked live long, this should give, us, this should give, this should give uh, birth to two thoughts. Don't be too righteous. You say, don't be too righteous? Is that what he means by this? What he means is this. Don't be over, don't, don't you, my friend, become so self-righteous. Your self-righteousness. He says there, be not over, he says, be not over, be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise, overwise, overmuch. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Why should you come to an early death? Why should you come to an early end when thinking that you're better than everybody else? When you know more. This is the people that are in prosperity, most likely. A lot of times when you're in prosperity, you think, I'm really doing right. Look at me. But then he says, don't be over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Don't be over much wickedness, that will kill you too. That can mean many things. That can mean don't be concerned with, this, with the wickedness of this world too much. I spoke to a man just the other day. He said, man, I was just so tired. I said, why? He said, I was up to, was up to 4 o'clock in the morning watching all the news with Ukraine and everything. You know? 
And he has a sincere heart about it. But if, if that's all we see and it's all we put in and that's all we ingest into our minds is, 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 is the wicked news and the wicked things that are happening in this world, I tell you what, my friend, you're going to come to the end before your time. It's going to stress you out. It's going to make you anxious and anxiety and it's going to ball you up and you're not going to be a very happy person. Also, don't be over much wickedness in this fact. Don't be mad at God for not taking out the wicked. Why doesn't God just kill Putin? Well, that'd drive you crazy too. Also consider this. Don't say this in your life. Well, if we can't beat them, I guess we'll join them. There's some people that do that. They just give up. Why should you die before your time? You know, some people have said before, they've said, they say, well, you know, God's got a death date for everybody. And perhaps that's true. I can see where they get that from out of the book of Hebrews. It tells us that is appointed that a man wants to die and after this judgment. But Ecclesiastes, and there's some other verses too that are reminding us, you know what? You could die before your time. If you act foolish. Then he concludes by saying, it is good that we consider all of these things. It is good that we all should just take hold of this. Take hold of it. Yea, all of this, yea, from, yea also from all of this, withdraw not thine hand, for he that come, feareth God shall come forth of them all. If you'll patiently endure, consider God through all of these things that we've looked at here tonight and that we see in, this, see in these few verses here this evening then God in the end will deliver us from all these trials and troubles. But if we do not take heed to the counsel that's been given to us, then we too, like Solomon, will reap what we sow. We'll reap what we sow. Life is a vapor, folks. Amen? Life is vanity of vanities. Life is a vapor. It will be over before you know it. Don't live for this world. Live for the next. Live for the next. And patiently endure to the end. May God help us. Father, we're thankful for the word.